Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About this? this? I'm your host, Amberly from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Bee Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk. We're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. Did you know you can find further resources on thepowerofbirth.net via the printable resources tab that includes things like a hospital bag checklist, postpartum toolbox, pelvic health information, and so much more. Don't forget while you're there to subscribe to thepowerofbirth.net for your free printable motherhood affirmations. I hope you love them as much as I do. Welcome back to another episode of Can We Talk About This? Today I have a special guest and if you've been a listener since the early days, you might remember her. Rebecca Black, the beautiful birth educator and psychologist based in Melbourne, Australia, who I chatted with back in episode 14. We had a fascinating conversation about fear and birth and how we can overcome it. But today, Beck gets personal and has come on to share her third birth story, an attempted VBAC home birth where she was transferred to hospital. This is the first time she's going public with her story. Beck gets vulnerable with me and is honest about the physical and emotional challenges after birth and how she came to terms with describing her birth as traumatic, what that meant for her as a psychologist working with perinatal women and as a birth educator, and making meaning out of her birth. Beck's story is not only a testament to her personal strength and resilience, but also a reminder that sometimes birth is complex and an individual journey. I want to reiterate here that all birth stories are welcome, but you should always consider what you're consuming. So Beck, welcome. You were just saying that this is sort of the first time that I guess you're going public with sharing your third birth story. I wanted to know what kind of differentiates this specific birth story to your last two. I think this you know, let's just dive straight into the deep end by saying this was my first birth that I would describe as traumatic. Uh, so it's been a much different healing journey, postpartum experience this time around after having two positive empowering births and this one just throwing me for six and being so much harder than I ever anticipated. So it's taken me a lot longer to share and I guess share it more publicly with people. I know there's a lot of people that follow me that have been beautiful supports and really keen and interested to hear how it went. But um, baby's five months old, little Harvey's five months now. And so I'm really just getting to a place where I feel okay about sharing what happened. Yeah. And so... What was sort of the catalyst for you to realize that you're ready to share? That's a really good question. I think, if I'm honest, I think it's a bit of me having a public, a more public platform to have these types of conversations and share not only my personal experience but also my professional experience that I think it could add so much value to uh, people who would listen and resonate with my story and then maybe also get some ideas around what might support them on their healing journey so I guess it's my way of making meaning or part of my way of making meaning from my experience. Mm, I resonate with that a lot and I really value the power in people sharing their stories and the wide variety of experiences that we have through birth. Um, I, I know that um, positive births kind of get, well, they like to have more of a highlight um, so that we don't instill fear in those coming into birth. Um, yeah. But there is absolutely a space and a, a necessity to be sharing 
stories that are also um, traumatic and whether or not others deem them traumatic that's entirely up to them too and we know that it is about the um, perceived threat to the brain and to that person individually Um, so I acknowledge as well that there is a wide variety of what is deemed trauma um, but trauma is absolutely something that's personal Uh, so I appreciate you coming on today to share and of course at any time if you need a break if we need to stop I'm happy to do that as well I'm curious to know what your prep was for this birth because we did have an episode where we talked about fear and I've had you on the podcast before um Mm -hmm. so yeah I'm just curious to know uh how that what that looked like for you yeah so obviously as a perinatal psychologist and a hypnobirthing practitioner, I did all the things in preparation for this birth, but probably the main difference for this compared to my previous birth was choosing to have a home birth. Um, I My second birth, although it was a positive experience, it did end in an emergency C-section. So this time around, I really wanted to set myself up to hopefully achieve the best possible birth outcome and obviously the evidence around home birth um, is incredible and it does definitely lead to better birth outcomes uh, in terms of the statistics. Uh, So that was a huge uh, shift in my birth preparation this time around. So having the home birth midwife support, that continuity of care throughout my pregnancy, building really beautiful relationships with my two midwives and of course the the hypnobirthing preparation so the positive mindset work the hypnosis the visualizations the birth um, preferences that I worked on and my partner was very much across and my midwives were across so there was so much that went into this birth which I think almost makes it harder to come to terms with the outcome when you invest so much money and time and effort into setting yourself up for a positive birth and when it doesn't go to plan um, that's really tough to I guess to accept and be okay with. Mm. And so, you know, you did your homework. Um, You sound like you had, you know, the right care for you as well and a great model of that continuity of carer. You know, you kind of were checking all your boxes and you'd birthed before as well. So you were aware of all of the unknowns, I guess. Um, Can you tell me what happened? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a big one. But I guess before I dive into what, how it all unfolded, Like you mentioned earlier, I think it's so important for those listening, if you are currently pregnant, um, I really recommend to not be exposing yourself to birth trauma stories um, because I don't want this to have that negative impact on your journey because your birth is completely different to anybody else's. Um, So my experience doesn't have any bearing on birthing women in the future. but if you are wanting to listen along and learn a bit more, please tune in and, and yeah. Um, so I, so it kind of all started on a Monday. <laughs> it was the 9th of Jan. My due date, I think, was the 14th. So I think I was like 39 plus 2. Um, had been having kind of practice surges for the few nights leading up. So I was kind of getting a, a sense that it would happen soon. Um, and I definitely felt things shift that evening. So Monday evening, I started having some surges and this definitely felt different to what had happened you know, in the nights leading up. And I kind of let my husband know um, that I thought tonight was the night. And even when I put my, my girls to bed, so I've got a five-year-old and a, at the time two and a half-year-old, um, and I was saying to them, I think, you know, we'll be meeting your baby brother or sister soon. Um, and that was the vision, I guess, was having them in the home. there, ready to, I guess, meet their sibling. Um, my previous two births had all both unfolded quite quickly. So in my mind, as much as they say the third birth is your third pregnancy birth is a bit of a wild card, part of me had a feeling that it would unfold somewhat um, quickly or certainly not as long as it it ended up being. So 
Um, that night I was laboring by 10 p.m. I was having surges kind of every five to 10 minutes. So it was um, definitely happening. And like I said, I think within four hours in my previous births, I was pushing. So I was pretty keen to get the private midwives around. They were about a half hour, 45 minute drive away. So um, by about, I think, 2 a.m., we decided to get them to come to our house. Um, my surges were kind of ebbing and flowing. So some were long and strong, some were quite mild. So it was a bit, yeah, a bit... Um, up and down I guess through the night I remember at about 4am both the girls woke up they could obviously sense that something was happening and they came into our room and snuggled in the bed and I was kind of in the bathroom I tried to rest and sleep as much as possible which is what I recommend to all my hypnobirthing mums but obviously you're excited and apprehensive and you know wondering how things will unfold and like I said things had happened quite quickly previously so um I kind of got up and, and prepped pretty early on. Um, unfortunately, I, I guess I laboured all through the night um, and the morning kind of came and baby still wasn't here, obviously, and I was pretty disappointed, um, expecting kind of that night to be it. Uh, that morning things started to get a little bit more intense and I, I kind of thought I was getting close to that birthing phase and so there was kind of a time there where I felt like I was getting the urge to push but things kind of randomly died off again and my midwives I guess came to me and said look Beck, often when the sun rises and we hit daytime again sometimes things slow down and we think that what you've just been through is has just been early labor so we think we all should go home um, and get some rest and come back um, when things pick up again and I cannot tell you how defeated I felt in that moment where I had worked so hard through the night um, and really thought that I was close for them to then say nah like this is just early days and we're going to leave. Um, it was really hard to come to terms with. So my dad came and picked up my, my kids. The birth team all went home. So that was the two midwives and the birth photographer. And it was just this moment where it was the middle of the day. I was walking around my empty house. And I was like, what the F just happened? Mm. Like, I've been laboring for, by this time, I think it was like mid-afternoon. So in my mind, I'd been in labor for like 15 hours and the baby still wasn't here. Life was still going, like the world was still turning, but I was just in this limbo. Um, so Sean and I rested for a little bit. The surges had definitely died off. So I got a bit of sleep, had some food, was getting woken occasionally with strong surges, but was really just trying to rest as much as I could, um, expecting for the next night to be, you know, things would pick back up again. Um, I remember that evening, like the sun set it, it got dark again, and I remember calling my mum and I was just bawling my eyes out saying, like, the baby's still not here. By this stage it had been 24 hours, almost 24 hours. Um, and I just was like, I don't know what to do. And then I called another friend and she gave me a really beautiful pep talk and I kind of got back into a good mindset, which thankfully that friend, you know, made a really big difference for me. And I kind of shifted gears and was like, okay, I'm just going to take it one surge at a time. I can do this. I just need a surrender. Um, and so things started picking up again and I think by midnight, 2 a.m., I felt like, okay, this is super intense. I think surges were coming like every five minutes and were really hard, um, really tough. And so once again, um, my husband called the midwife and said, look, I think, you know, things are happening now. And the midwife, I didn't realize this was happening, but the midwife listened over the phone for about half an hour. 
and she said to my husband, nah, like this is still not close enough. Like we, we shouldn't come back yet. Um, and I just felt in that moment so alone. Mm-hmm. Like I'd done all this work to set myself up with this birth team. And this wasn't the midwife's fault, um, but I just felt abandoned. Like this is the hardest thing I've ever done. This is, you know, and she was still kind of implying things were early or things were far off. Um, yeah, so that that was really hard to hear. And I know Sean was really struggling at that point, trying to support me. He hadn't slept for 24 hours um, and he was doing an incredible job. Like, Sean was just my rock through the whole experience. Like, he was so strong and present and calm and never gave up on me and I'm just so grateful for him being by my side through the whole thing I mean I think he did go for a power nap at one point I think he snuck off for about an hour um but I was in like a state of hypnosis and deeply relaxed through that time so I don't actually remember him not being there um but yeah he was incredible Um, so eventually the birth team returned at about 4am because I basically begged them and said, like, I need you here. Um, I don't care if you still think it's a while off, like I'm struggling. Um, I got in the bath. I'd been in and out of the bath throughout the whole thing, which is where I'd visualized it happening. I've got this beautiful bath in my bathroom and, um, but every time I got in the bath, things kind of slowed down again. It was like my happy place in it relieved so much intensity but um every time I got in it was like the surges died off and things slowed down um but I needed it so I got back in the bath and actually got into this beautiful state of relaxation where I reckon a few hours passed and I didn't really realize which is one of the beautiful parts of hypnosis um so that was really amazing but then I remember opening my eyes in the bath and the sun had risen again And once again, I just broke down. I was like, I've literally just labored through two whole nights and I still don't have my baby. Um, And at this point, I was very keen to get a vaginal exam. So I was saying to my midwife, like, I need to know. I need to see where we're at because I'm done. Like, I don't have anything left to give. And so we sat on that for about half an hour, maybe, and we kind of spoke about the pros and cons and and tried to decide whether it was the right decision. And I ended up saying no to it, which is often what I talk about in hypnobirthing classes around how would that impact my mindset? What information is it going to give me? And I knew within myself that unless I was like in transition or close to transition, there's, which is like eight or nine centimetres dilated. If I wasn't at that point, it would have broken me. Like there's no way known I would have been able to keep going. Um, and I knew that like I just desperately wanted my home birth. I wanted to birth in my safe place, surrounded by, by my beautiful birth team. Ideally with my kids there, but they were gone. They'd been gone for like 24 hours. Um, so anyway, so I declined the vaginal exam, just kind of buckled in for some more labor. And again, at that point, my midwife said to me, well, the sun's risen, things might slow down again. Like we might not, you know, might not have a baby anytime soon because labors often stop again during the day. And I, again, I just felt so at this point, I think I was angry. I was exhausted, but I was angry. I was like, you cannot tell me that my baby's not going to be here soon. Like, I've just done this for two nights. Um, Anyway, so I think it was a few hours. So that early that morning, my midwife had suggested that we could get a shiatsu massage um, practitioner to come and do a home visit. So we were setting that up, or not me, but the midwives and my husband were trying to get uh, this beautiful shiatsu massage therapist who works in birth work to come to the house. So I think she arrived at about 11 a.m. And by that stage, I'd actually reached the birthing phase. So um, my waters, 
I think my waters had released by this time and I was in like the active birthing time, which was a relief, but I was also quite nervous because this is the part of the birth that I struggled with the most with my second. So I pushed for, I think, two and a half hours with Aubrey and we ended up with the C-section. So I knew that, well, I, I kind of expected the birthing phase to be really hard, but nothing can prepare you for going through the birthing phase after two days of labour um, and very little sleep and I was already exhausted. Um, so we started pushing or what I like to call birth breathing um, and essentially this is all a bit of a blur, but essentially I pushed for the next four hours. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm just looking at Amberly's face when I said that. Um, I pushed for four hours at home. Um, the baby, the baby, the midwives were monitoring baby's heart rate, you know, in between pushing and um, in between surges and baby was coping beautifully throughout this whole process. We were trying every position you could imagine. I was hanging from birth swings. I was folding myself backwards on the bed, like with my pelvis in the air and my back lying on the bed, my feet on the floor. I was doing forward-leaning inversions, which is where you put your knees on a chair and you put your hands on the ground, so you basically turn your uterus upside down. While I was pushing, I was in the bath, holding onto like a rebozo, pulling as hard as I could as I was trying to birth my baby. I was like, you cannot even imagine the, the things that we tried to get this baby out over four hours. Um, I was squatting, I was lunging, I was on the toilet, I was crying on the floor, I was <laughs> doing all sorts of things. Um, and the baby just wasn't coming. Um, so, you know, if you're familiar with the anatomy of the birth path, there's this point in the pelvis where the baby needs to do a turn and come around like a bit of a corner. And my baby just wasn't coming around that corner. So there was no crowning, there was no head to be seen. Um, but my midwife, you know, with consent, obviously put her hands inside to kind of feel where baby was. And she could feel the baby's head, but it was just around that lip. And nothing I was doing was, was getting baby to just nudge its way around that corner. Um, and I remember being in, in a squatting position, pushing as hard as I could. Again, this was probably, this was the end of the kind of attempt to birth at home. And my midwife had her hand up and I was like, I don't care what you do, but if you can do anything to help this baby turn, um, do it. And it was the most, probably the most excruciating pain I've ever experienced in my life with her hand inside me trying to help um, baby's head turn. Um, and that didn't work. So we kind of then made the call that I had to transfer to hospital, um, which I remember my husband at this point after, afterwards when we had a bit of a debrief about it, he was like, that was my moment where he felt so defeated and broken he was so sad for me um, but also traumatized for what he'd witnessed me go through knowing that I hadn't got what I desperately wanted um, and the thing was is it wasn't over yet so he was worried about whether baby was okay how it was going to unfold from that point onwards so for the next 20 minutes, hubby had to pull the car seats out of the car, pack a birth bag, which stupidly I hadn't done because I had all this faith in my body and the fact that I was birthing at home. So he's running around like a mad person trying to get things organised, me screaming at him because I'm at this stage having surges every two minutes, but trying to birth my baby, but knowing the baby wasn't coming. We get in the car, the middle of the day, it's wild. Um... We drive to hospital. I think we left at about 2 p.m., 2.30 maybe. Drive to hospital. The midwives had called the hospital and let them know we were on our way. So they were expecting us. 
they took us into the birth suite, into a room, and I was just screaming at them. I was like, I need drug, like I need an epidural. Like I need this pain to be gone. Like I'm done. Like I can't do this anymore. And the midwives and the OB were so calm, but almost like um, infuriatingly so. Like I literally wanted to punch them. I was like, this is urgent. Like don't talk to me and calmly talk about what we need to do next. I know what we need to do next. I need an epidural. Um, anyway, so then the OB was talking to me about what we had to do um, and essentially she wanted me to sign consent forms for a C-section um, because they were mortified that I'd been pushing for four hours. I think by this stage it was closer to five hours, um, which they that never happens in a hospital, um, so they were very shocked. Um, so my idea was when we got to hospital, I'd have an epidural and keep trying to birth in the birth suite. Um, but they said I had to go down to theatre um, because if I couldn't birth vaginally in theatre with help of forceps and vacuum, then I'd need a C-section. Um, so it was kind of like try forceps if that doesn't work to a C-section. And I was just so distressed at this point because I was like, I've just gone through two days of torture of like this most challenging thing like I do not want to end in a c-section after all of this um so anyway so we go down to theater I finally get the epidural which in my first birth that moment was such a relief and I felt happy when I got the epidural and I was like yes I'm going to meet my baby we're having a c-section I was so on board with it this time I was just broken I was like the pain's gone but it isn't if that makes sense um, so the OB, um, basically said to me, you've been pushing for so long and because of that, we need to get baby out quickly. If you don't, if I can't get the forceps on in three pushes, I'm going to do a C-section. Um, and I basically said to her, no, baby's been fine for the last five hours with me pushing. You're giving me more than three pushes to do forceps. Um, and I just... In that moment, I was so proud of myself, but I also felt sad for other women that don't, can't advocate for themselves and how easily that would have ended in a C-section when that's not what I wanted. Anyway, I told her, no, we're not, um, you're giving me more than that. So we, we did the pushing, which I could no longer feel, which is obviously very challenging to try and push when you can't feel anything, but I'd had a lot of practice. Um, so eventually she got the forceps on, um, I pushed, baby came out. They actually told me that it was a really gentle forceps delivery. It was like the minute she gave a little tug and he came around that birth path, like he just slid out um, and it was just needing that extra extra support to move around. Um, he had a tiny mark on his face um, from the forceps, but nothing, nothing um, too bad. He came up onto my chest. Um, we didn't know that we were having a boy, so we've got two girls. We didn't know we were having a boy. So we, um, a few minutes after he's placed on my chest, we, we looked and found out it was a boy, which was amazing. Like, it was so beautiful. Um, but obviously a really hard, um, a really tainted experience. So much grief and loss around what I imagined that moment to look like. And... Once again, being in hospital, in theatre, in this cold room, surrounded by all these people that are strangers that have no idea what I've just been through to get to where I am. Um, oh, any, anyway, that, that then led to a third degree tear. So then I was in surgery for the next 45 minutes as they stitched me up um, in recovery and then up to the birth suite. So he was born, I think, at about 5 p.m. So I think I started, on paper, I pushed for six hours um, before he was born. And um, and I'd been in labor, so I kind of started labor at 10 p.m. two nights earlier. So it was kind of that, yeah, just, just shy of the 48-hour kind of experience. So... Um, nothing like I ever imagined it would be. <laughs> yeah. Firstly, I'm going to say that was a lot. <laughs> and I'm really sorry that that happened and you didn't get the birth that you'd worked 
so incredibly hard for. Mm. I am really sorry to hear. I, I know those feelings of devastation around that. Just a couple of things I wanted to point out and some things that you'd said. Obviously, I, I hear a lot of grief in the way that mm. you talk about your birth. Also, those feelings of feeling defeated and kind of in despair, just sort of being left alone, feeling abandoned, all of those sorts of things um, mm. that come up. That's it's really it's really hard to hear that that happened to you, mm. um, you know, in a continuity of care model. That's kind of what we try and avoid. Hey, well, why it's why we want continuity of care. Um, but I understand, you know, no fault necessarily to those midwives. At the end of the day, it is a job, and they have to take care of themselves as well, don't they? So it gets yeah. tricky and it gets complicated. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then also the I loved the, how you sort of mentioned your partner and how mm. he was feeling in moments. I did want to know a little bit more, I guess, about that decision for you internally going to the hospital what was kind of going on in your mind in those moments um I think it it actually stems back a little bit because because I was struggling so much and I was so exhausted and I I feel really guilty to admit this but there were times hours earlier where I was like I actually wish there's something wrong with my baby so we can go to hospital. Mm-hmm. So the midwives were obviously working so hard to help me achieve the home birth. And I I didn't communicate this, but internally I was like I can't do this anymore and if but I don't want to give up. Like I don't want to be the one to call it because I know if I go to hospital there's a really high chance of having a C-section. And I've come this far so I don't want to give up. But if baby's heart rate was struggling, then I could go to hospital and they could make that call and it wouldn't have to be me giving up. So these types of thoughts had been going through my head at different stages of the labour and of the two days at home. Obviously, probably more that second, that last day. Um, But then the moment where we decided to go to hospital... I, I felt defeated, but I was like, I, I don't actually care anymore. I just need this baby out. Um, and the, the hard part is I actually, there was points where I didn't care about the baby anymore. Like, I just can't keep doing this. I can't put myself through this anymore. Um, so, yeah, it was, it's mentally, emotionally a huge part um, of the story is is choosing to transfer to hospital yeah definitely and Mm. I would understand for a lot a lot of those mothers that choose home birth and want home birth and have worked so hard for a home birth that that being transferred to hospital is incredibly defeating and full of those complex emotions I wanted to acknowledge though that I really appreciate your honesty there in saying what you just said because those things can be really difficult to say out loud and there's a lot of shame around those feelings. Mm. Um, but at the same time, within context, they make a lot of sense, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, particularly if, you know, you've, you've sort of been there before. Um, so I, I completely understand um, why you felt mm. that way. Mm. And I'm sorry that you felt that way as well. Mm. That's really hard. Would you say that a lot of those complex emotions and feelings and thoughts that arose throughout those sort of three days that they contribute to the feeling of trauma or having that word placed around your birth yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah this feeling of like that abandonment or feeling alone throughout is a huge thing for me and also a lot of the women I work with around birth trauma it's a really common theme um, feeling like I've failed is is another big one for me that um, that comes up and has been something I've had to work through and and I guess process. 
Um, and yeah, those, those thoughts about, yeah, yeah, look, it's, it's all relevant to mm. why this experience, um, for me feels traumatic. Um, yeah. And it took me a long time to use that word for it. And I think, you know, I know you've got some questions to come around that, but I think it was something I almost felt ashamed to say I had a traumatic birth because of the work that I do um, with hypnobirthing and as a perinatal psychologist and how much I'd shared publicly about my journey in preparation for um, birth that, you know, I really wanted to be sharing my beautiful home birth. Um, And so for me to say it was traumatic was there was a lot of layers um, for me to come to terms with that and acknowledge that. Is it hard for you to hear about successful home births now that you've had this experience? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think that's part of um, moving through birth trauma is, you know, and obviously my feed, I, I teach birth, my feed is full of home birthing midwives and beautiful birth pages and hundred percent is triggering and it's hard to see and hear how many women nail it and I'm so happy for them but so sad for me yeah I think that's perfectly valid as well you know that it's really hard navigating trauma and grief and loss because you have those really complex emotions where it's like I can feel empathy and happiness for you but at the same time it is sort of that grief around what didn't happen or what could have happened or, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that around your birth. So you mentioned that there was lots of feelings um, of failure and then how that sort of gets tricky because of the work that you do. Um, I kind of want to expand on that a little more in terms of being a perinatal psychologist, working in working with women with birth trauma and also in birth preparation and hypnobirthing and all those sorts of things you sort of cover all of this I guess did this provide you with any additional challenges and insights and you'd mentioned those feelings of failure can you kind of go into that a little bit more yeah 100% I think this was the biggest part of my healing was making meaning of my experience and coming to terms with what had happened on a personal level, but if I'm honest, more so on a professional level. So I think if I start with the struggles associated with that, I teach hypnobirthing and I talk about physiological birth and how our bodies are made to birth our babies and how amazing birth can be. And I just felt like I failed at that. Like birth was not amazing for me and my body clearly had something going on that didn't let my baby be born without really um, intense medical support in terms of the forceps. And um, so me then, I, I almost felt like a fraud then going to back to teaching hypnobirthing and sharing this stuff with women when I, I hadn't been able to do it for me. Um, so there was a lot of that I failed and, and then how does that impact my, my business and my career and what I love to do moving forward, um, when I support other women. So that was kind of where I started. I think then the meaning making came from that in how can I use my birth to, support other women on a deeper level um which I felt that way after my second birth which was an emergency c-section that just took my ability to support women to a whole nother level having that personal experience and this birth has once again challenged me beyond comprehension but has grown me in ways I, I never thought I needed to grow um so in terms of teaching hypnobirthing, I think I have even more knowledge and wisdom around how birth can unfold and what to do if things don't go to plan, um, which I think is so important for birth preparation. And then I guess from a, 
perinatal psychologist perspective, I had also done a lot of work supporting women with birth trauma, but had never experienced it personally. So I think that just deepens my compassion, my empathy, my my understanding, my true lived experience of that, which and then my healing journey from that, which then allows me to meet other women where they're at and support them in much more meaningful ways, in my opinion. Not that I feel like you can't do that work if you haven't experienced it, um, but it just takes it to a whole other level. It really does. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your postpartum recovery and how postpartum was for you sort of after this traumatic birth, but now having this birth injury as well. What was sort of happening at the time? I guess the most... um, impactful part initially was the physical birth trauma um so the the two days of labor coupled with a third degree tear um, birth injury meant that my body was absolutely cooked like I literally could barely walk for a week um and I was in so much pain, like my muscles that I never knew I existed in my body. And like, if you think back to that six hours of pushing and all the different positions I did, like the, what my body went through was just next level. Um, and then, of course, the stitches and the, the tear and the episiotomy. So it was a double whammy. Um, it was just physically really really tough and I remember having many moments where I cried and I thought maybe I should have just had a c-section like maybe that I I don't think this is the better path to go down because I was so set on I didn't want to have another c-section I was going for a v-back but I really doubted that in the first week and I remember messaging like pelvic floor physios and contacts that I had I'm like am I ever going to be okay like I feel like my insides are falling out of my body and am I ever going to be able to run again? Like I'm, you know, play netball and I'm, sport is important to me and, you know, how is my body ever going to be the same again? Um, so there's a lot of fear around that. And then I think the, the layer on top of that was I had two kids and a baby. So I had a five-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old that I could I could barely move to care for them, support them. They were like next level that first week. They stayed two nights at my mum and dad's house after me promising them two days ago that they'd be meeting their sibling in the bath. They'd then been shipped off to Nana and Pa's for two days. So they were like off the charts intense when they got home and I had absolutely nothing to give to them. Um, and I physically couldn't either. So trying to spend a week in bed with a newborn and two kids is almost impossible, but that is where the postpartum preparation is so important, like having the support around you to meet your needs in that that first week, obviously that first month is so, so important, but particularly that first week, um, like if I didn't have my mum, like I... I don't know how we would have survived. My Obviously, my husband did so much um, so that I could rest as much as possible. My private midwives, like so many layers that supported me um, in that postpartum recovery. That, But despite that, it was probably the hardest week of my life, mm. um, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. And so you've talked about, so you've used the word healing a couple of times in this conversation. Uh, so what has that kind of looked like? What, I guess, what strategies, what things have you found helpful? How have you been coping and what sort of has led you to healing? I know that's linear and I know that's um, not exact, um, mm. but yeah, I'd be curious to know. I think I, I often like to frame healing as it's not a destination. It's like it, you don't get there and all of a sudden you're okay. Um, I think it's a lifelong, um, I mean, I'm only five months postpartum, but I, I birth stays with you forever. So it's, it's never going to be 
gone if, or, or healed, but I'm healing. Um, the other day, I one of the songs from the birth playlist came on the radio and I just burst into tears and like got so emotional. Um, so it's, it's certainly an ongoing process, but I think again, there was, there was some really key parts of what I did postpartum that made a really huge difference. So one of the things I attribute a big part of my processing and healing to was having a postpartum doula, um, which I, you know, booked in, in the pregnancy thinking that I'd have a beautiful birth. Um, but it was even more needed and necessary um, after my traumatic birth. So her name was Jess. Um, her Instagram is Nurtured Postpartum, I think, and she's just incredible. Um, she, so I had six sessions with her, so she came to my house once a week for six weeks from about four weeks postpartum, so when my husband was back at work. So she came and... Um, gave me uh, massages to calm my nervous system. She listened to my birth story and just held space for me. She bought me coffee and food and cooked me dinner, like cooked dinner while she was there, cleaned, tidied up my house. Like she was just a godsend. But particularly part of that was just having that honouring of somebody to truly listen to me and be present in wherever I was in that moment, whatever emotions I was feeling, the grief that was coming up, the sadness, the anger, like she just held it all for me. Um, and it was the best gift um, and the best investment I think I could have made in my postpartum um, journey. Mm, I love that you had a postpartum doula. I wish we had, I wish they were the norm birth and postpartum. Like I have a huge love for doulas and the work that they do. And yet you've just spoken to that. They are really amazing. Incredible humans. Um, I think a big part of healing from trauma is the physical side. So we know that trauma lives in the body. So the, like the impact on our nervous system is huge. And so body work and relaxation and calming our nervous system after a traumatic experience. Obviously, knowing this as a perinatal psychologist, it was really interesting to then be able to do things to um, meet that need and really honour what my body was going through. So I had a, um, I had a beautiful uh, pregnancy chiropractor and he actually came to my house, I think, four or five days after the birth and gave me a treatment at home. Again, my body was very, very sore, so that was beautiful. Um, the massage from Jess in my home was beautiful. She also did some guided meditations for me. And I also did a beautiful six-week restorative yoga um, program as well. Um, so Kat held this beautiful – it wasn't pregnancy postpartum specific. It was just a general restorative yoga. But if you haven't done restorative yoga, goodness me, you need to put it on your to-do list because it is the most beautiful practice in the world. Um, so, again, that physical care – and nurturing of my body and honouring of my body and what it had been through to bring my baby into the world um, was really key. Um, my private midwife facilitated a beautiful experience where um, I had, I think it was about a week postpartum, she came and she ran me a bath in the bathroom where I thought or I envisioned birthing my baby. Um, and I had a bath with Harvey. So it was his first bath in the big bath and she got my placenta and put it in a bowl and that kind of floated in the bath with us. And we put on some music and I did some relaxation and I just cried in the bath. Um, and that was a really beautiful, um, I guess, ritual, I guess, to release some of those emotions and just be where... I envisioned the birth to end, um, grieving that it didn't, but also having that beautiful moment with Harvey and that kind of skin to skin contact and bonding with him um, was really beautiful as well. Mm. Wow. It sounds like 
an amazing postpartum. But I will say on the flip side of all of that, that, you know, I love that you've had support and I love that women put these supports in place, but you can still struggle despite the support. And I think, you know, you've, you've definitely spoken to that, but I, so on the flip side of that, then having these amazing supports and having these amazing moments in your postpartum, I know that you've talked about the physical injury inside of things postpartum. What about the emotional and psychological impacts after this birth trauma? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I'm describing some of these things that were beautiful, but they were also painful. They were also hard. There was big, big emotions and and moments of real um, intense grief and sadness and loss and anger and all of those emotions that ebbed and flowed through my postpartum experience. I'm really grateful for the fact that didn't I don't feel like it impacted my bond with my baby um and I never struggled with him which I'm quite relieved by because I do know that birth trauma can lead to some really um challenging experiences with your baby um but I guess I can't really pinpoint exact moments but it was such a roller coaster um emotionally and I think one thing I will say on that is something that was really important to help with that was being really mindful of who I spoke to about my birth who I let into my space how I navigated that first month or two um was was really important to protecting myself um during that time so what advice would you give to someone who's recently had a traumatic birth and it, and maybe struggling i think there's a lot of support available mm-hmm. and my advice would be that you don't have to suffer in silence or be alone with your birth trauma think there's a lot of um, minimizing and invalidating things that we can be exposed to I even have like a vivid memory of a comment that an OB made to me at my six-week check that was just so hurtful Mm. and rude um, that and I know other women experience similar things where it's like oh well it was just one day or at least you have your beautiful baby or like I could write a novel on the the shit that people shouldn't say Mm -hmm. to a woman who's experienced birth trauma. And I think that can lead a woman to feel like they just need to get over it or their emotions aren't valid or they should just be grateful because they've got a healthy baby or whatever's coming up for you. What I would say is that's a lie and your experience matters, your birth matters, and it does stay with you forever. So even if it was a year ago or two years ago or six weeks ago, having a space to process it, make meaning from it, come to terms with it, build in some self-compassion and um, you know, nurturing yourself um, as you reflect on your birth, I think is so powerful. Mm. Um, so if you're still holding big emotions and feel like you need to um, make space for that. I think you very much are worthy of that and deserve to be able to do that. Um, You don't just need to put on a brave face and get on with life. I think that's very well said um, and so necessary for women to know and to hear. In saying that, have you sought a debrief with a professional yourself uh I haven't I haven't but I so that I guess my debriefing happened with a few different people Mm -hmm. so um my postpartum doula I debriefed with her um she has some training in birth debriefing um I have a really close friend who's a midwife who was um, able to hold space for me and listen to my story. I did some debriefing with my private midwife 
um, my primary midwife, but that, to be honest, was quite challenging um, given parts of the experience that um, I felt let down by her. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, back to what you said earlier, there's absolutely no blame or judgment on her and her role. It was just, you know, a really tough birth. Um, And I've also written my birth story, which can be a really nice way to get it out and, and kind of reflect on it. Um, so I, I, I've done those things. I haven't um, sought out a professional. Well, I would say that you have. Oh, well, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I have. Uh, but in terms of like a psychologist or I somebody see. that does what I do, yeah. I haven't done that. But I've done my own version of it, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting because this is sort of what I, I did my research on birth trauma and birth debriefing. Yeah. and But this is what I found. So people seeking a debrief of some kind from birth workers, I guess we'll just call that umbrella term. So anyone sort of in the birth space, I just find that so incredibly fascinating, the power that comes from being able to debrief or share your story in some form. Um, I don't know what it is. Do you know what it is? (laughs) I think it's maybe what I'll reflect on there is how we spoke earlier about shame. Mm. And and we know that when we talk about things that we feel shame around, it releases the shame. It's just this powerful effect of being able to name it and acknowledge it and mm. talk about it is really powerful for our healing. Um, but I again, I really want to reiterate speaking to the right people yes. and picking the safe place to do this work. Um, again, whether that's with a paid professional or with a friend, uh, I would also note I um, done some birth debriefing and reflecting with my husband as well. I think that's really powerful to be able to sit. The amount of women I've spoken to around birth trauma who've never actually listened to their husband's or partner's experience in birth or shared their experience in birth with their partner um, I think that's a really missing piece of the puzzle, mm. um, being able to hold space for each other and you know, really honouring here that a lot of men or, or pa- birth partners can be traumatised from birth as well. Mm. Um, so I think me and Sean being able to connect over what happened and talk about it and, you know, this is a whole other topic, but reconnect in an intimate way and you know feel loved and connected to him after the birth was a really powerful part um, of the story as well you also mentioned that you were now back at work five months postpartum so and you have touched on sort of how this has influenced um, working with clients and things like that as a perinatal psychologist but returning to work and things and sort of carrying this now experience with you and then diving deep into various different experiences as a perinatal psychologist in the motherhood space, are there challenges in balancing your personal and professional roles as you sort of are processing your own birth experience? Yes, always, always as a psychologist, as a helping professional, you're constantly juggling and needing to be really mindful of what's going on for me. Where am I at? Um, Am I, yeah, like what's coming up for me when I'm working with this person and supporting this person? And it's always about coming back to what does what do they need and in general psychologists don't like we don't give advice and we don't often share our own experiences directly right it definitely informs our work but I think it's it's always an important thing to check in around am I saying this for me or for them Mm. like do I need to talk about this for me or for them and that for me, particularly if I'm supporting somebody with birth trauma or um, postpartum, a healing postpartum, I think I need, will need to constantly check in with myself around 
what's my purpose here? Like, how am I showing up? And making sure that the client is very much the focus um, and I'm not getting kind of derailed by my own stuff. Mm. Again, like I said at the very start of the episode, what my experience is mine alone. It actually, it's different to every other woman's experience. So as much as there's an understanding, it's also recognising that what happened to me is completely different to what happened to you and what happened to the next person. Mm. Yeah. So do you have any hopes for the future, both personally or professionally, as you, I guess, continue to process and heal from this experience? I do. Um, well, I guess particularly what's, what's most relevant right now is feeling really passionate about birth trauma and particularly the gaps in care that women receive and the damage that can be done by health providers postpartum when they don't realize the enormity of birth trauma. Yeah. So, you know, I referenced that experience I had with an OB who, you know, six weeks postpartum, I still could barely walk. I sat in a waiting room with my baby for like an hour and a half waiting to see her. I walked into the room. She didn't even know my name. She didn't realize that I just had my third baby. She thought I had my first baby. She hadn't read my story or like the birth notes. She knew nothing about me. And then she said to me, why don't you just have another C-section? And I was like, I literally want to murder you right now. Yeah. Um, it was just so insensitive, so rude. And anyway, I guess from that experience, I was like, these moments have the, the, I guess the power to have a significant influence on a woman's healing experience. And it makes me so frustrated that care providers don't have training and don't have understanding or awareness of how, um, how sacred this space is and how vulnerable we still are in that postpartum experience. So I'm actually hosting a a bit of a, just a local kind of professional development networking event at my office next month for allied health and medical health professionals to do a bit of um, upskilling in birth trauma and how they can support a woman postpartum who, or even in pregnancy if they've previously had a traumatic birth um, so that they know what not to say and maybe just feeling a little bit more able to support them in a in a helpful way um, I remember seeing the pelvic floor physio and she ha- she wanted to do an internal um, assessment of my pelvic floor and I remember vividly like lying on the bed thinking this is the first person slash thing that's been inside me since I gave birth and it was really triggering and really hard um, and whether that happens six weeks postpartum or a year and you know you're getting an assessment done these providers need to be so aware of the vulnerability attached to that and how intimate it is and how triggering it can be. Um, So I guess feeling this drive to, yeah, to kind of make some changes in that space, even if it's just in my local community or the providers around my area. Um, But hopefully, you know, something will come from that. Mm. I love that. I, oh yeah, it's definitely needed. And sort of as you were talking, I was, I was remembering things that were said and done to me as well. Um, And so it is definitely, it's so, it's just so vital. And I just don't understand how we live in this day and age and we're still getting so much of this wrong. I, yeah, it kind of hurts my brain to think about too much. So I appreciate women like you doing the work and using your voice uh, for change. That's so important, so vital. We need lived experience. There's so much power in being able to sort of collaborate um, your personal journey but also your professional journey together. That's amazing. I I think that does conclude uh, our conversation now, Beck. but how are you feeling? No, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. I think this is this is part of my healing. This being able to share and hopefully have 
a positive impact on other women listening mm. and you know that making meaning from my experience is being able to use one of the hardest challenge most challenging things I've ever been through and use it for good so I hope this episode is is part of that and yeah thank you so much for holding space for me and listening and being so beautiful through this process yeah of course of course I appreciate you so much for coming on and sharing your experience and I'm really happy to hear that you're ready to share it and have it out there I certainly can think that so many women can benefit from the things being said in this conversation and benefit from hearing your experience so I appreciate that thank you so much Meg no worries Emily thank you Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health, please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can find us at The Power of Birth on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, thepowerofbirth.net. If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode. (music) 